Joy Reid and Van Jones. Imagine that. They said something really, really stupid over the weekend. We'll get into that. Maybe the two dumbest people in all of American media, Joy Reid and Van Jones. I can't wait to dig in on this Tuesday. with Jason Whitlock. I'm Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Tuesday. Awesome show uh, for you today. Uh, Delano Squires, Professor D is going to be here. Uh, I've got some good topics uh, for us to talk about with uh, Delano. Uh, this episode is brought to you by our good friends at Good Ranchers. Fall in love with beef, chicken, and seafood all over again by subscribing at GoodRanchers.com. Use my promo code FEARLESS to get $240 in free bacon uh, with your order. Uh, wow, I can't wait uh, for today's show and thank you Good Ranchers uh, for jumping back on board with us. I, I, I told you guys in the cold open, I'm gonna talk about Joy Reid and Van Jones and Ann Coulter. I'm, I'm gonna start though with Ann Coulter and Van Jones and some things that happened on the Bill Maher program over the weekend. I wanted to give a little bit of a setup before we bring Delano into the conversation. On HBO's Real Time, uh, this over the weekend on Friday, they got into a discussion about the Kansas City Chiefs parade shooting and massacre. One person dead, a mother, 22 other people shot. It's stereotypical gang violence. We talked about it on the show uh, last week. YouTube doesn't want us talking about it. No one wants us talking about the Kansas City Parade because none of the, pe the, the, the shooters don't fit the profile of what the media is comfortable talking about. But we're going to talk about it again today because I thought Ann Coulter and Van Jones had a very interesting exchange on a couple of different issues. But the number one one was about fatherlessness and illegitimacy Watch what Ann Coulter says, and then watch what Van Jones has to say. The media who do not care about blacks killing blacks, and this is the one time where I think, I mean, you always hear, well, um, pretty white girl, oh, they'll cover that. No, the blacks killing blacks will not get covered by the media. That's a huge media problem, and yeah, you'll, you'll all laugh at me, um, but I'm going to say it because I'm right. Very right. The cause of this right. is, is illegitimacy. All of these young men do not have fathers. And that is a huge, huge source of it. Anything that could be done to reduce the illegitimacy rate, particularly among the black community, it would be astronomical, the changes you'd see. Do you know, just one, one fact, if you take away the factor of illegitimacy, the difference in the black and the white crime rate disappears. You know, uh, it's an amazing it, fact. It, it's it's it would be an amazing fact if it were true, but but look, well, I mean, it is a big part of it. Listen, uh, uh, I've got two very small children. I've got uh, uh, my eye on this problem a lot. You know, I'm trying to raise you know black kids here in Los Angeles. I'm not a part of the pro crime lobby. So. Everybody's been programmed. Oh, it's Ann Coulter. We hate Ann Coulter. 
we got to hate her and we got to cheer for Van Jones as he diminishes the problem of illegitimacy. That, that's he's a father and he's a black father. He has kids. There's no one in the world who, who's been watching any of this objectively that doesn't know all of this gang violence, all of this debauchery, buffoonery, uh, just random violence. It's all attached to the destruction of the family. But we've been programmed. Oh, Ann Coulter said it and we hate her. She's right wing. And Van Jones is arguing something different. He's black. He's left wing. Let's cheer. Are you kidding me? Here's a and we'll get into that with Delano. That, that's part one of what we'll get into with Delano here in a second. Here's a second clip of Ann Coulter making a point about why the media is basically trying to smother, ignore, distract from what went on in Kansas City. Let's play that clip. I mean, we don't know who did this shooting, by the way, the, the, the Super Bowl shooting. We have we, some idea. What? If it were a white man shooting, we'd know. Who? Well, we don't know, but they, I mean, they that's how we know it's not a white man. I can tell you that much. Do you think they're, they're repressing that reporting? They wouldn't tell us about the um, transgender woman that shot up the Christian school for what, like a year? Um, oh, San Bernardino out here. Remember the crazy terrorist Muslims? I, that's when I first noticed, hmm, they're not telling us who it is. I, it's not a white male. The longer they go without telling you, it's not a white male. Okay, well, we don't, for this one, for right now, as of Friday night, February 16th, we, know. we, don't, we don't officially know. Okay, you know, you have special powers. Um, she doesn't have special powers. She has common sense. And everybody knows, I halfway like Bill Maher, but, but, but I love the level of willful ignorance and naivety that he will occasionally display to please his audience. Well, because it's Ann Coulter, she's conservative, she's a white woman, she can't be right, so there has to be some other truth here. We have to play dumb and pretend like, even though there was, before Friday night when they're taping that show, there was all kinds of stuff on social media showing pictures of the people who were caught for doing this cr crime in real time. And then by the time you add on the delay in the media, and, and even to this day, they still haven't really gone into who did the shootings and why, and they're hiding under the pretense, well, it's juveniles. And we can't talk about juveniles, and so that's why we're keeping it a secret. No, you're keeping it a secret because it's gang violence, it doesn't fit the narrative, it has nothing to do with an AR-15, and it's black kids involved. And so the media doesn't want to address it, and Ann Coulter, like, I'm not playing that game. Let's deal with reality. So Bill Mark, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about the media suppression as well with Delano, but I, I want to give you all some more context before I bring Delano into the conversation. I also want to thank another one of our great sponsors, ZStack. Over the last few months, there has been more and more talk about disease X, a disease that they are warning could be 20 times deadlier than COVID-19. Of course, these warnings come from the same people who profited from the last pandemic. Is disease X real? Is it the latest election year PSYOP? 
Or are they preparing us for another lab leak or worse, an international release of a deadly disease? We don't know. Here's what we do know. Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, my friend, the guy who treated me personally during COVID, personally. I, I love Dr. Zelenko and he has passed. Before he passed though, he turned me on to the Z stack. His trusted products, kept me, you, and everybody safe during the last pandemic, and they can keep you safe in future pandemics. Now is the time to stock up ZStack. Don't wait to find out if disease X is real. Protect you and your family today. ZStack is a specifically formulated supplement that includes zinc, uh, curatin, vitamin C, and vitamin D. Formulated by Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, the world-renowned doctor that President Trump credited with his successful early treatment of COVID protocol in the last pandemic. Let me just say again, personally, I love Dr. Zelenko. Treated me. When I got COVID, that's who helped me. And boy, did he help. Boy, did he help. And I've been taking the Z-Stack now for two and a half years. Go to ZStackLife.com, ZStackLife.com slash fearless and order today. Use my promo code fearless15 to save an additional 15%. That's ZStackLife.com slash fearless, promo code fearless15. This is another one of these great products, guys, that I've been taking for more than two years. I can't thank Dr. Zelenko enough. I've tried to turn everybody in my family onto it. Help your body, treat yourself, Z-Stack. One more piece of context uh, before I bring uh, Delano into our conversation. I wanna play for you the Kansas City mayor. I, I think it was the governor of Missouri, or, or the governor of Kansas, one of them made a comment about the Kansas City parade shooting and used the word thugs as related to the shooters. I don't know who better fits the description of thugs than someone who would show up at a parade celebrating a Super Bowl victory, kill a mother of two, injure 22 others in some sort of dispute between gang members. Who, who fits the description of thug? Is thugs just like a word we cannot use because no one fits the description? But anyway, the mayor, Quentin Lucas, a leftist, uh, not that bright, panders to the crowd, you know, probably a George Soros plant. This guy basically took umbrage with uh, someone calling these guys thugs. Let's watch the clip. He's going to join us later on in this program. After the shooting, he said, we can't let some thugs and criminals just take over and ruin what happened. I gather that's not quite your assessment of what happened that day. I have respect for the governor. Uh, we get along well. I, I disagree strongly with uh, how he would describe that situation. I, I certainly do think this was criminal activity. It was lawlessness. And I think that uh, that's troubling. But thugs is a dog whistle in the most classic sense. And I have seen this dog whistle time and again. There's this kind of giant conservative theory on social media now that the reason that monk shots haven't been shown is because the purported defendants are black. And if it were a white defendant, we would have just shown them. That is absolutely preposterous. There are protections to juveniles. Our city has a gun violence problem. 
No, I lived in Kansas City for 16 years. Kansas City is a second home. Kansas City has a gang problem. And, and the mayor wanting to run around and police guns isn't going to fix anything. And the, again, this is this fantasy world that the leftists live in where there are no people problems, there are no heart and condition problems, there are no spiritual problems, there is no problem with the destruction of family. Guns are the problem. Oh, a lack of uh, gyms and parks for kids to play in, that's the problem. No, there's a problem with daddies not being in the home, married to the mother of their children. Wherever you find that, wherever you find communities, ravaged by daddies not being in the home, married to the woman they have kids with, you're going to find violence. You're going to find people willing to pick up a gun and shoot other people randomly over disputes or disrespect. There's a spiritual problem. There's a breakdown in family problem. There is a problem with people getting out of the natural order and the, the prescriptions that God provided for all communities. Daddy, mama, children. No, I'm sorry. God, daddy, mama, children. They all need to be connected. They all need to be in the same house serving the same Lord and Savior. When that gets broken up, chaos will follow. And, and Quentin Lucas, who, I, you know, <laughs> I know some people that regret helping this dude get elected. Typical idiot. But that's the discussion, those three things. Fatherlessness that I heard from Van Jones, the, the, the whole, why, was this new, why is this news being suppressed? And, and Quentin Lucas calling this a dog whistle. The word thugs, that people that randomly kill and shoot people at a Super Bowl celebration. Oh, we can't call them thugs. That's a dog whistle. Miss me with all of it. Uh, before we get to Delano, I want to take care of one more uh, of our great sponsors who allow us to do this show. I got to take care of these guys. They're looking out for us. They're the reasons we can have this discussion. Trust me, the entire Internet, the Matrix, YouTube, they're all against these types of discussions. I want to talk to you guys about Coppercraft. After you tried all the big brand names, you realize what's missing, the personal touch. Small bad spirits are the only way to enjoy the finest libations the USA has to offer. Discover premium American-made spirits from Coppercraft Distillery. Coppercraft Distillery's award-winning black label straight bourbon whiskey is crafted along Michigan's manufacturing called Coast, where industries, auto manufacturers, furniture makers, farmers, and entrepreneurs have created quality goods and exported their handiwork across the nation. These craftspeople have given us a rich heritage, proving that craft and time yield incredible results. The same is true for incredible whiskey. Our distillers artfully source and blend the finest ingredients to create premium small batch whiskeys with rich, smooth flavor, Follow the distillery online to discover a new way to enjoy old favorites with a wide selection of tried and true recipes featuring Coppercraft, vodka, rum, gin, and bourbon. Or Crack Bolkin, a Coppercraft canned cocktail for an instant mixed drink to enjoy. Buy online and ship to your door at coppercraftdistillery.com, promo code FEARLESS. All right, so uh, without further ado, and with all that context, and 
Delano, after we have this conversation about Kansas City and Van Jones and, and uh, Ann Coulter, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Joy Reid as well. She had some interesting comments. But let's start with the exchange between Van Jones and Ann Coulter, where she's making, I think, the accurate argument that all of this can be reduced to fatherlessness, illegitimacy, and Van Jones is disagreeing with that. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of shameful that Van Jones has to be schooled on, you know, these issues by Ann Coulter. Um, obviously, I don't know who the shooters are. I don't know their family backgrounds, but um, gang violence, just from my observations and experience, it doesn't tend to crop up where you have a high concentration of kids being raised in loving two-parent homes by married biological parents. That that's just isn't, isn't my experience. I'm not saying it can't happen, but that's not typically the way it happens. So um, I, I think part of the problem is that people like Van Jones, the people that I, I talk about as the aristocracy, the black leadership class, the progressive politicians, pundits, um, professors, preachers, and performers are so reluctant to to discuss these issues that they, um, by virtue of their silence, they they see this entire area of public discussion um, to to conservatives, uh, and and I think that's a mistake. So I think people like Van Jones should should put on his big boy pants and be able to say, look, th- these types of issues that you see in Kansas City, you see in Chicago, you see in D.C., you see in Baltimore, you see in Philadelphia, in Atlanta, in New Orleans, in New York City. Um, and, and I do think the issue of family structure is a common through line. Again, you may have spe- you know specific sub-issues here or there, uh, but at a certain point, we are going to have to deal with this straight on um, because you know the, the, the less um, uh, preferred method to talk about these things is always about systemic racism which always boils down to um, we need more government programs and we need, uh, you know, white people to do certain things to save black folks and, and bigger government and better white people is not a winning political strategy. Delano, what strikes me about Van Jones and a lot of these people that are having these discussions, I just sit there and go, when's the last time you've actually been in these neighborhoods and communities in a real way? And and I say that because, again, I spent 16 years in Kansas City. It is a second hometown to me. And and I'm not trying to brag or flex when I say this. I'm just talking about the reality of me as a journalist and me and my time in Kansas City. I'm friends with or was friends with a lot of gang members in Kansas City. A lot of them. Bloods and Crips. And, And I could sit here and start rattling off names because because of my affinity at that time for rap music and my support of Kansas City mm. rappers, I met them all. And mm. I, I know some that have been shot and killed. And, and so I, I, I know their backstories. And so I'm just like, what world is, is Van Jones living in? And what world are these people living in? Do they know any of these people? Or is it all just some kind of theory that gets discussed on some Ivy League campus away from the actual people. Um, Van Jones is living in what I've uh, called Negro Town. I've written about this for The Blaze before. I don't know if you remember the skit from Key and Peele where uh, one of the guys, he got bopped over the head by the police and he had this dream that he was in Negro Town and all the black folks, everybody was singing and there were no uh, quote unquote Karens or no racist police officers. 
and that's the world that Van Jones, uh, a lot of people who write for The Root and The Grio, that's the world that they live in. They, they only see issues if they involve um, white police officers, if they involve white vigilantes, or if they involve, again, Paul Karens. So if, if the issue that you're bringing up does not involve any of those things, it doesn't matter how many black kids get killed or how, how many, like none of those things matter. If it doesn't involve one of those three things, they don't even see it because to them, you know, the world is only impacting negatively uh, when when a white person is saying or doing something that they do not like. And Jason, I mean, you you cover one of the textbook instances of this. You covered, I think, last year with um, uh, Coach Mike Hickman, right? The 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 uh, Pop Warner football coach, and I believe it was in Texas, who got into an altercation with Akeem Talib's brother. So Akeem Talib, you know, former All Pro. It, it, it was between, I think, Talib's brother ended up shooting and killing him. And the, the allegation is that Talib, Akeem Talib was the person who instigated the fight. Now, I said this last year when we talked about it. If this was Richie Incognito and his brother or Bill Romanowski and his brother, and they got into a beef with a black coach and either of those guys was involved in the fight that ended up getting the black coach killed, that would have been all over ESPN. But instead of covering this like a real story, because it involves a former NFL player, it involves a coach getting killed on the field, you know, coaching kids, Stephen A. Smith and the other people at ESPN would rather uh, cover, I think it was uh, Rachel Richardson or whatever the girl's name was from Duke, who alleged that uh, BYU students call her the N-word for two hours and nobody could find any evidence to substantiate that claim. So, Yes, the media is very selective in the narratives that they promote and support. And, and if anything goes against that narrative, they have no interest in covering it, particularly if they think it shows uh, black people in a bad light. So what do what's driving? Let's say Van Jones actually has concern for the welfare of poor black people or mm-hmm. of black people living in these high crime zip codes. Let's say he has sincere interest. W- why isn't he prescribing like, you know, and again, I know it's a much longer road and it's harder, but it's like, hey, we gotta restore marriage and family if we wanna fix this. And I know that's a long route and it, it might take 30, 40 years to fully have that blossom and fix things. Why isn't he promoting that? Why does he think like, oh, no, if we just had more parks and more recreational activity for kids, this will all get better. Why is why is he avoiding what seems like a common sense truth and prescribing something that won't work, won't fix the problem? Well, I think the main reason is, is it's a worldview issue. You know, people oftentimes talk about the um, the Breitbart pr- principle, right? The late journalist Andrew Breitbart, who said that politics is downstream from culture. Well, policy is downstream from worldview. So how you view the world is going to determine the sort of policy mix that you think will improve it. So people like Van Jones, when they talk about and, and they love the only thing more um, common in political commentary than um, death and taxes is talk of root causes. So for them, the root causes are some mix of um, s- school funding, 
um, housing inequities, health care, gentrification. Now, if you're really deep into this stuff, as I've been at times, you'll hear terms like um, uh, economic violence. So uh, cities that invest in certain parts of the city and not in other parts of the city, um, they'll, they'll throw in white flight. The only um, institution that they don't touch is the institution of marriage. And the only structure that they're not interested in is the family structure. And again, and I've said this on multiple, multiple occasions, if there's one thing I give President Barack Obama credit for is that he is the last national Democrat with a large public profile that I could think of who consistently tied marriage and family structure to social outcomes. It wasn't just black love for the sake of representation. It was communities do better when they're more intact families. And whenever he did that, he would get criticized by people like Van Jones, by, by um, particularly black progressives. Uh, so I, I just don't think that the left sees it that way. These are people who are materialist in nature, and they think that um, people, particularly black folk, um, are they think that we are influenced and our behavior is influenced by our material conditions. And you can t- you can tell this because when when they when they speak about for instance, Dylan Roof, right? The 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 white teen, twenty uh, something year old guy went to a Mother Manual Church and, and and massacred nine people. Nobody ever says, "What time did the recreation center in Dylan Roof's neighborhood close? What was the school funding like? Um, did he have books in his home? Right? Uh, did they have Meals on Wheels program? Nobody ever asked that question because to the left, white people do things." But black people have things done to us. So white people can be um, uh, criticized for moral failings. But for us, all of our moral failings are caused by material deprivation. So, so, so that's why it's always we need more resources, more funding, so on and so on and so forth. And, and really what's at the heart of this is that there's very little space between the, the 1820s sort of racist slave master who thought, that the black the black man was motivated by a genetic inferiority, right? His his thing was blood and bone. It was racial condescension. And your average progressive and NPR viewer is really no different. Because to both of them, the, the Negro, absent any sort of benevolent intervention, is just a melanated blob of chaos pushed to and fro by historical injustice or current discrimination. So so Van Jones, like he he doesn't even have it in his worldview to discuss what we're talking about because he thinks all of our problems are caused by material needs that have not yet been met. What do you think of the Kansas City mayor objecting to any assertion that thugs were involved in the, you know, Kansas City parade shooting and, you know, that's just a dog whistle? I I think that... Um, the protection of criminals, particularly within the black community, as some special class of oppressed people, is a complete mistake. Uh, I, I wrote a piece, I, I tweeted it today, um, uh, Jason, on what a real Black Lives Matter movement would sound like. And one of the things that I said is, I, I listed out 10 principles. One of the things that I said is, we need to stop protecting criminals. They are not an oppressed class. And, and if we have to kick out the small number of people who are terrorizing our neighborhoods, then so be it. Uh, and, and I think what you hear from the Kansas City mayor, one, he, he's soft. And a lot of people are soft when it comes to these things. 
right? Now, the community who doesn't mind hearing young men talk about killing one another and putting it to music and selling that music all across the globe, all of a sudden gets sensitive when somebody uses a word like thug. Um, and and I, think, I think it's silly. Do I think that, that ra- language can be racialized? Of course I do. Of, co- of course I do. Um, when I hear the word stoner, I don't typically think of a black guy. Um, there's certain words that, that acquire a racial context. But what I'm saying is, if, if somebody's talking bad about a pedophile, I don't particularly care. I'm not, I'm not going to be the head of, uh, of the uh, pedophile protection uh, nonprofit. That's not, my, that's not my deal. So when, when criminals terrorize their neighborhoods, I'm not feeling sorry for them. We need um, somebody like president of El Salvador, Naib Bukele, who basically said, we're rounding up all the gang members. We're going to strip you down to your drawers. We're going to sit you in, in the jail compound on a cold, hard concrete floor, you know, uh, 30 men in a row for as long as the eye can see. And we're going to take uh, El Salvador from being one of the most violent places in the Western Hemisphere to having one of the lowest crime rates in the Western Hemisphere. I would love to see something like that, but we don't have that type of stomach in our, in our country because we get offended by um, people using impolite terms to describe people who are wreaking havoc on their neighborhoods. So, yeah, very soft. Yeah, impolite terms for people who specialize in impolite terms. And, you know, it's just mm. like who, the thugs, they're not worried about being thugs. They got thug life tatted across their stomach, tatted across <laughs> their belt. And we said, oh, don't call Tupac a thug. I know he tried. Right. Oh, don't call that person the N-word. I know they do it every five seconds to themselves. <laughs> you know, that's all that gets me sidetracked a little bit because, you know, this and I'm, I'm going to go down this path just for a second. But watching this whole Shannon Sharp comedian deal has mm. uh, taken me down a rabbit hole where I'm, I'm Eddie Griffin and Mike Epps and just listen. And I'm just like, man, the comedians now, now just like rappers. I mean, every 10 seconds, it's the N-word. Every mm. 10 seconds. And I was like, I just don't remember comedy being this way, that they were so reliant on N- N-word. And now I'm getting distracted. But, uh, D, I, I want to <laughs> change up and talk about Joy Reid. This actually, reparations might be mm-hmm. an issue we disagree on. Uh, but... Before I do that, I want to take care of uh, our good friends at Good Ranchers. Did you know that over 5 billion pounds of meat are imported and sold in the U.S. every year? That's why you need Good Ranchers. They are the number one source for 100% American meat that I trust to feed my own family. Instead of getting overpriced imported meat at the store, Good Ranchers delivers the meat my family and I eat every day straight to our door. And not only is all their meat locally sourced, but it's also hormone-free vaccine-free, and it has zero antibiotics ever. You need to switch from the grocery store to Good Ranchers. Right now, subscribe to any of their 100% American meat boxes to secure their leap year offer of free bacon for four years. That's over 70 pounds of Applewood smoked bacon you'll get just by subscribing. Wake up and smell the savings at GoodRanchers.com with my code FEARLESS. 
Their beef, chicken, pork, and wild-caught seafood is all amazing. And remember, it's all 100% American, which your grocery store cannot say. Go to GoodRanchers.com, pick your box, use my promo code FEARLESS, and get meat you can trust from a company that shares your values. Good Ranchers are amazing sponsors of our show, and by shopping their delicious products, you'll be supporting everything we do right here. Stock your fridge with easy to prepare delicious American meat right now at GoodRanchers.com. Not sure which box to choose? Try the best seller, the Ranchers Classic. Or if you've got a hungry household, check out their Family Feast Bundle. Get quality, local foods you can trust and feel proud to feed your family. Go to GoodRanchers.com, use my promo code FEARLESS to claim $900 in free bacon before their leap year sale ends. GoodRanchers.com, American meat delivered. All right, we're going to return to uh, Delano. Delano, I want to play you this clip of Joy Reid talking about uh, reparations and what all she built and what all black people built here in America. Uh, Let's play the clip. And to find out that literally Barack Obama's two terms as president are your reparations, and Juneteenth, which you already celebrated anyway, is your reparations, and yet you built this country. You literally physically built this country, and yet the attitude toward you from a lot of your peers and your fellow citizens is just shut up and be grateful. And it's, it's, it's infuriating. So you built this country and mm. yeah, and her family's not even from here. So she's clear. Mm-hmm. That's why I think she uses the word you and not we. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, everything that I hear related to reparations, and I used to be someone who's like when Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote the case for reparations, I didn't agree with it, but I thought it was a persuasive argument. Now I'm, I'm way on the other side and I'm more just like, there's this promotion that the whole reparations argument is a psyop to promote a mindset of entitlement. And, and mm. so when people have the feeling that, hey, I'm owed something, that will diminish your work ethic and make you, until I get what I'm owed, you know, I really ain't about this life. And, and that's mm. why I think this is very dangerous and why it's promoted so heavily because the mindset of entitlement is a poison. It destroys the entitled. And so I, I, I you know, and Joy Reid is sitting there in a position she didn't legitimately earn. And so it's her entitlement and some debt, you know, she's saying, you know, Barack Obama, that was our reparations. And Juneteenth, that was our reparations. And Joy Reid getting paid millions of dollars to and babble to about nothing that on TV, that's our reparation. Mm-hmm. Maybe that wig they gave her, maybe that's part of her reparations package. I just, I'm just not a fan of the whole repar- reparations argument. I'm certainly not a fan of Joy Reid, but your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things. Now, when I saw this tweet, the person who put it up was saying, Joy Reid was saying that, you know, they were making it seem as if she was saying she was owed something. And and to her credit, she did say you and yours and not we and ours. And I I do think that that needs to be pointed out. Um, I mean, and and I've said, you know, before, you know, I'm sort of like a second generation American. My family's from the West Indies. 
I mean, my slave ancestry was in the Caribbean. So it wasn't, to my knowledge, it wasn't in America, even though there are sort of close relationships between the island my parents came from and, and particularly Charleston, South Carolina. But that's a different topic for a different day. Um, let me say this about reparations. I, I understand why people think it's a good idea, why Black folk think it's a good idea. It's not a new idea. I mean, um, there have been push, pushes for reparations for, I don't know, well over 30 years, if, if not longer. Um, longer. But I think, yeah, yeah. So what I, I hear a few things when people start pushing for, and I will say this, at least online, the chorus for reparations has gotten much louder in the last five to 10 years, much, much louder. Where so for some people, that is their entire focus, right? Every time they talk to a politician, what's your stance on reparations? I think what Joy Reid was trying to say is that for a lot of black folk, like the, the, the feeling is, oh, we, got, we gave you Obama, we gave you Juneteenth, you should be thankful for it, right? That is your reparations. Now, my thing is this. I think one of the reasons there's so much ancestor talk is because um, a lot of us are not building anything for our descendants. So the best that we have is to reach to the, reach back and say, well, I, I need to cash in on what they built. Because for a lot of people, and this is cuts across race, but let me stay in the Black community. Um, either we're not going to have descendants or the ones that we have are not gonna be able to know who to point back to and say, my granddad built such and such. And this goes back to the first topic we were talking about, because if the family structure is wrecked and our family formation sounds like a lumber yard, five, five kids by five women, so you got a five by five here, you got a six by four over here. The, 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 the children who come two and three and four generations down the line are not gonna be able to say that we built anything because yes, they'll say, I, I have a great, great, great grandfather, but what did he build? He couldn't even marry my great-great-grandmother. He was nowhere to be found. He was a rolling stone. And, and I do think there's a lack of confidence in the ability to build for tomorrow across um, the American body politic, left and right, black and white, that is disturbing to me. And I think that's why so much of our, our conversation is in the rearview mirror, either trying to draw on what other people built or try to relitigate things that we dealt with in the past because we're not confident that we can build something that'll, that'll last into the future. The other thing I'll say is this, Jason, as I was listening to Joy Reid, and when I think about how the reparations argument is framed, right, that the broader society, i.e. white folks, um, need to pay us for things that our ancestors went through. I'm gonna give you a name of somebody that I thought about. It's, it's going to seem completely unrelated but I'm, I'm going to tie it in, right? I thought about the comedian Monique, and I'm going to tell you why. Because obviously she's been going back and forth with her first child, her son. He put out a video, her and her husband put out a video, and I saw a clip of her at a comedy show, uh, I guess recently, where she recounted mm -hmm. meeting an older woman, and the older woman basically said, you know, F them kids, you know, you did all you could for them, and they're going to complain, and da 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 And the reason I bring up Monique is because oftentimes in our community, we have higher expectations for what white people are supposed to do for black folk than we have for what parents are supposed to do for their children. Now, when a parent gets old, right? And again, this is not just a, a, a black thing, but when your parents raise you 
and you're 25, 35, 40, still complaining about what they did or did not do, at best, if you have a good one, they'll say, you know what? Yeah, I might have been able to do some things different. I, I'm sorry. You know, come here, give me a hug. What you typically get is, look, I did the best that I could. Now you, you're grown, have your own kids, and you, you try to do better than what I did. And then somewhere in the middle, you get, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I was a good parent to you. You need to be thankful for what it is that you got. Look how bad the other kids got it down the road. At least I was there for you. Right now we have that perspective within the community where a comedian who spent the last 10 years complaining about Oprah and Tyler Perry and what they didn't do for her and the money that they, they cost her says to her, her flesh and blood son, F that N word. And then we turn around and say, say to Mr. Charlie, oh, you got to give me some money. Somebody who looked like you did something, did something to my great, 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 great grandmother. And because of that, you owe me. It doesn't make any sense. That's not how confident people act. That's, that's, not how, that's not how they think. That's not how they speak. And then the last thing I'll say is this. There are people who are very much pro reparations and also very much pro student loan cancellation. They're trying to hold two ideas that are completely incompatible. On one hand, for reparations, they say debts are so important that they should be paid no matter how long that they've been in place and regardless of whether the debtor or debtee is still alive. And on the reparation side, um, on the student loan side, they say debts are so unimportant that the debts that I racked up four years ago in college should be written off and I should be forgiven and I should be able to live my life. So again, this is... This is I, I get why people want it, because when you get green in your eyes, you become bewitched by a spirit of, of, of greed oftentimes. But this is not a position that's well thought out. And I could go into 20 different ways how this is going to not just um, be uh, detrimental to the larger American society, but even to our own community. Because people are talking about the American sort of tax system as if this is a uh, some Tyler Perry movie, you know, Medea's estate goes to probate where, where you fighting with your cousins over, you know, a few acres in South Carolina. No, this this 330 million people. Everybody gets to say on, and what happens with our government. Nobody gets to say, oh, there's something that didn't get settled um, 165 years ago. And now we're going to do it on the backs of our descendants. And if you if you don't agree with me, then you're a bad person, a racist person, a sellout, a coon, a tether or so on and so on and so forth. So. I, I think Joy Reid is like many other people online, um, can't really hold two, two thoughts together for very long. But as I said, Jason, um, policy is always downstream from worldview. Um, and I think we're seeing that right here as well. Delano, I'm so glad you brought Monique into the conversation because it, 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 when I saw the clip, I nearly wanted to cry. Because not just that she would say it, a mother would say it mm. publicly, but then that there would be laughter and applause from the audience co-signing her thoughts mm. on this. And I was just like, oh. And no matter how screwed up this son might be, to be out publicly, F that N-word to a, oh my God, this is incredible. And then pretend like, if that's okay for her to say about her own child, say like his sense of entitlement and what he's owed, if that's okay to say about her own child, 
but it's totally unrelatable for black people to run around and say, hey, what, Mr. Charlie, you owe me a debt. <laughs> and Mr. Charlie can't say, F that ninja. He, he can't. Mm. If, if a mother can say it about her child, like, no, nah, I don't owe you no debt. And you need to get over it. Whatever. And, yes. and, and she's copped to her neglect and, you know, wrong priorities. And she's like, no, nah, you need to get over it. F that blah, blah, blah. But mother can say that to her child. Mr. Charlie, who wasn't around during slavery, who, 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 who's, whose daughter might be married to a black dude, he may have black grandkids, who, who may have been, his family may have been over in another country and had nothing to do with any of it. He can't say, hey man, I got my own problems and you need to move on and get past that. You trying to charge a debt to me that was put on a credit card 160 years ago I wasn't even here. My family wasn't here. And, you know, I just went to a wedding where my daughter married a black man. Missed me with all that. And because tr- tr- I'm telling you, that would be my mentality. I'm just miss mm-hmm. me. With, but the other the other critical point y- you made that I hadn't really thought about, because I had two like what's driving this. And so my original thought that I still hold on to, but you've given me an alternative view. My original thought was like, so black people that have had success who uh, get called out for speaking any type of Christian values or any type of conservative values, uh, the way to protect their standing in black social circles is, hey, I'm for reparations. So, yeah, I may be conservative. I may be in a marriage. I may believe in all these uh, conservative values or Christian values, but I still, I'm with y'all. I want to charge Mr. Charlie a few billion dollars, a few trillion dollars for what happened. So let me come to the cookout. Let me come to the Essence Festival. <laughs> I'm in good standing. That's, but your... Your theory is one I hadn't thought about that I think is either the equal or superior is that black people have been trained justifiably that like, hey, part of our role as black Americans is to accomplish something great for the next generation. And so there's Mm. people that are dead and in their graves. It's like. Man, I, I joined the Civil War. I was part of the abolitionist movement. I laid down my life and died for the next generation. And then there's, you know what? I'm part of the generation that ended segregation and Jim Crow. And we made sacrifices and risked our lives so y'all could have full citizenship. Mm-hmm. And this current, the last 50 years since we got our full citizenship, Everybody's been looking for I once I read a story or heard Al Sharpton interviewed where he was talking about his legacy and he was just like hunting for like what what would be his legacy. And the dude said, well, I, st- I stopped stop and frisk. He th- so mm. <laughs> he's thinking when his obituary is written, they're going to say, you know, he stopped stop and frisk in New York. And I was like, mm, that kind of pales in comparison to <laughs> what previous generations did. But now, because you said, because we haven't built anything, and and so we're trying to say we did something. Yeah, we got the reparations. And again, it's 
It's not a solution. And it's just like the people running around beating their chest saying that, hey, I ended uh, or I forced integration. Sounds good, but the results are mixed. (laughs) That, That, you know, poverty was shrinking for black people under segregation. We were building our own business. We were doing what every other community, from the Asians to the Italians to the Irish, built their own economies, took care of themselves. And then when they decided to integrate, they were integrating from a position of strength and leverage and power where all we just wanted was integrate. Hey, how can I be next to some white people? Hey, you know, what mm. neighborhood? Build some special housing out in white neighborhoods that I can afford so I can be close to white people. Look how I made it. I, I, I do think there is that mentality of, well, this is gonna be on my resume. This is what I did for black people. I got them a check. And, and I would say pursue a better legacy. At this point, be, I would want to beat my chest and say, man, I was part of sparking a, a Christian religious revival and I saved some right. souls. Try that over a check. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I agree with you in large part, right? I, because, because I think this is, this is, um, part of what a lot of, I don't want to say every black person, but um, there's a sense that to the extent that black identity is sort of rooted in um, oppression and marginalization. And I'm not saying this is always the case, but I'm saying it's been the case for quite some time now. Everybody wants to feel to your point that they are part of a generation that's stacking another set of bricks on that building, on that tall tower of liberation. So th- that's, that's why you, you get kids that grew up in leafy suburbs and very comfortable. Um, and then when they get on a college campus, they want to cosplay like they're Black Panthers. And, so, and sometimes the more, quote unquote, privilege that they had, the harder they go in the other direction to show how down they are. Um, but again, this, this is a tragic miscalculation because Jason, I think we've talked about this before. And any um, woman, again, black or otherwise, or any guy who's had sisters has probably overheard some a conversation that goes this way. Teenage girl comes to a mom and says, such and such dude want to give me this type of gift. $200 tennis bracelet, new pair of Timberland boots, or whatever it is. And mom says something to the effect of, you better watch who you get gifts from because no man's going to give you something for free. So when a political party says, oh, sure, we'll cut you a check. Now, as a quick aside, that check is not going to come. These these people, particularly progressives, are like that guy who's cheating on his wife, and he's been stringing his mistress along for five years, always telling her, I'm about to leave my wife. I'm about to leave my wife. Um, When my my first kid go to college, I'm going to leave her. And then by the time he gets to her, he's going to say, when my fifth kid go to college, then I'll leave her. So he's just stringing her along. But when you do this and you take that person's money, the thought that they're not going to want something from you is preposterous. And I'm going to tell you exactly how it's going to sound. 2040, checks have been cut. People, some people using them, they play in the options and put in the 401k. Others using them to, you know, buy a new car, down payment on the house. Others splurging at the club. However, people spending money however they want to spend it. 
But one of the things that happens is uh, Planned Parenthood notices that those uh, those abortion numbers are starting to flag a little bit in Harlem or Cleveland. So they pick up the phone to Breakfast Club and they say, hey, Charlemagne, hey, DJ Envy, um, the checks are gone out. Our numbers are a little down. I think y'all need to make an announcement over the radio that if you're a young woman in Harlem and 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 uh, you don't have enough money to afford your child, Planned Parenthood of, of Greater New York City is there to help you along the way. Because the thing is, if if you take somebody's money, they're going to want something from it. And there's two things that the left cannot keep their hands off of. It's America's history and America's children. So if black folk want to continue operating in, in the sellout spirit, and we are willing to mortgage the lives of our children to get a check based on something that happened to to people who came before us, then that's that that's a I guess that's a bargain that we can take. I don't think it's wise. And, and I'm saying we because whenever I talk about black issues, I say we again as 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 a child of Caribbean immigrants, I'm not entitled to anything. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But all of our children are going to go to the same schools. They're going to live in the same neighborhoods. And these people don't understand that when somebody gives you a check of that amount, whatever it is, $25,000, dollars $75,000 per person, they are going to want something from you. And I, I don't think, that it's, I don't think that, it, that it's wise. Now, I will say this, Jason. If the reparations push was primarily for Black folk over elders over the age of 70, 75 years old, People who went through segregation, who couldn't, who couldn't access the GI Bill, right? A much smaller population. Then you may have some more support. You can understand it. You can understand it more. Or if it was an equitable conversation, I'm going to use the left's term. If the, if the premise is um, uh, median black wealth household wealth is is let's say forty thousand dollars, and it's one hundred twenty thousand dollars for a white person. Okay, then any black family who, who makes more than $120,000 or has $120,000 of accumulated wealth, you get a nice IOU with a $1 sort of, uh, uh, you know, ceremonial thing from the government. And whatever that pot of money is gets split up among the, the working class and low income black folk. And so that's a proposal. But they don't want to do that because this is something that's driven primarily from middle class black people in order to get a payout for something that people who came before them went through. So th- this is this is neither equitable, which the, love, the left loves to talk about, nor is it focused on the people who actually went through the things that they're talking about. And the other thing, and I'll, and I'll end here, the day that those checks go out, the first thing that's going to happen on a political level is the pride brigade that's been standing in the back seeing whether or not black folks are going to get something, they're going to come and say, forget about slavery. We couldn't even marry each other up until 2015. We couldn't pass down property. We couldn't um, exercise, you know, uh, 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 end of life sort of rights at the hospital. The federal government owes us. You guys owe us. And, and then the, the exclusivity that the black community thought that they had over reparations is going to evaporate in a matter of five minutes, and then people will be back complaining. Oh, I thought this check was only for us. We're the only ones who went through slavery and segregation. Why is it the LGBT community getting something? And on and on and on it will go. So I, I don't think it's wise, not if we want to maintain a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, sort of uh, multi-regional 
uh, constitutional republic. This is the complete wrong way to go about doing that. Delano, thank you so much. Uh, great job thank as you, always. Uh, we're gonna play some tomorrow. Man, I got a lot of thoughts on reparations. I'm, we may dive back into this later this week, but they should be paying people, black people, to get married, and then the number of years you stay married, your check increases. Do that. I, I would support that. Bribe black people to get married and stay married. <laughs> All right, that's tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Negotiation, my sister, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on a corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving all the seed when we all wanna be free. We want freedom. I just want, I wanna be, I just want.